Hello, Amina Smith here. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of How She Did It. As always, I'm so happy to have you with me. You know what I'm about to say before you leave after this episode is over. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. That way you can come back and hang out with us each week. So this week's guest is a college basketball and WNBA analyst and reporter for ESPN. She has become one of the most prominent voices in women's basketball and is an advocate for women and women's sports. Here is LaChina Robinson. Amanda Smith here with LaChina Robinson. Thank you so much for making time to join me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. I really appreciate the invitation. We have a lot to get to in our time together. You know, now we so often know you for your work in women's basketball, but when you were younger, you were a cheerleader. So how did you find basketball and where did your love for the game develop? Yeah, I started out as a reluctant basketball player. <laughs> uh, I think I was one of those little girls that just wanted to do what my friends were doing. And um, so I was happy to throw on a chilling skirt. And um, But after you know realizing that I was much taller than everyone else, I was actually 6'4 by the time I was 14 years old. So uh, the flips just didn't happen the same way. My chilling skirt was <laughs> short. Uh, and so, you know, my, my family, I had an older sister on both mom's and dad's side that played basketball, but we didn't have a lot of female athletes as, as role models in my mother's generation and my grandmother's generation. So my mom was uh, big on education. And so, you know, I played the violin and, and did so many other things, but it wasn't until a, a gentleman in my neighborhood continued to come by my house and ask my mom, are you sure she doesn't want to play basketball? <laughs> he could see that growth spurt happening. And uh, one day he mentioned to her that I could get a free education. And my mom pretty much dropped me off at basketball practice and never came back like that. <laughs> that was it. You know, I, um, but I fell in love with it, you know, for the first time. And when you're, when you're 16, when you're 14 and you're six, four, um, you don't really feel like there are too many places you fit in the world. But when I got to basketball practice and I started making friends and I felt confident and was learning so many valuable lessons in life, uh, I figured out it was a place for me to be. You end up playing collegiate basketball at Wake Forest mm -hmm. and you graduated with a degree in sociology. So how did you decide you wanted to make the transition into broadcast? Yeah, uh, I realized probably in my college days that there were going to be a lot of career transition thoughts for me. I came in thinking I wanted to be a sociology major, excuse me, a psychology major, but let's back up. I started off okay. I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, realized how much reading and writing that was going to be. So I was out of that. Then I thought I was going to be a psychology major, which I basically almost failed the intro class. So that was out. And I ended on sociology because I just loved the coursework. Like I, I enjoyed the classes like sociology of sport and um, social inequality and marriage and the family. So I really kind of just started following the things that I was naturally interested in. And that, Amanda, honestly would be a key for me the rest of the way. But I went from there, graduated from Wake with my sociology degree, had no idea what I was going to do with it had decided to give up basketball, knew I didn't want to coach, 
and started the, in my career in athletic administration. I actually had an internship um, at the ACC and got a job at Georgia Tech from that. So I was content wanting to be an athletics director. That was my dream. And then in my late 20s, I had like a really, all I could, all I could really describe it as is a, is a time of depression, a very low point in my life in my late 20s. I was probably 27 when it started. Um, but didn't want to be an athletics director anymore. Really kind of lost myself, lost my sense of purpose. I was, again, depressed, um, physically ill, just so many things going on in my life. But it was probably the turning point for me in, in the best time of my life, looking hindsight, because I spent so much time with myself and building my foundation and who I felt like I was supposed to be. What was my purpose? Why am I here on this earth? What am I good at? You know, and asking myself a lot of those fundamental questions that I hadn't asked myself before. And born from that was this curiosity about other career paths. And so one day they happened to ask me to serve as a color analyst on the, on the radio broadcast at Georgia Tech where I had been working. And I said, sure. I mean, what? Just talk about basketball and whatever. So, you know, I show up with my popcorn and I'm like, okay, what do I need? <laughs> I put the headset on, Amanda. And honestly, I just kind of fell in love instantly because it was my new connection to the game. I knew I wanted to be around basketball and I knew I wanted to serve women. Those were two things that are still a part of my purpose to this day. And uh, I loved it and just found my way from there. You forgot about the popcorn. I know. <laughs> You're like, wait, I forgot I ever brought that. Yeah, I still eat popcorn at halftime. Don't tell me about that. Okay, you'll see good safe with us here on how she did it. There's the plug. Uh, you know, when you were going through that time, how did you ultimately rediscover what you now call your purpose? You know, it, it took a lot of digging. I was um, grateful in, in my late 20s during that same time to be going through a program that the NCAA offered at the time called the Leadership Institute. And it was for ethnic and minority females. So it was this year-long programming where we took trips back and forth to Indianapolis. And I was in this incredible group with 24 other amazing women who are now athletic directors and doing great things in their lives. But um, it was really about slowing down and asking questions. You know, what would be your mission statement if you could write one? You know, what are the things that people around you come to you for? Like your strengths. What do people know you for? How, what is your brand? How do you show up in a room? What would you do if you woke up every day? Uh, what would you do waking up every day for free? Like if you didn't, if there was no money and, and no career per se. And so it was really ever since I had put the basketball down, you don't realize that life just starts moving and you don't check in with yourself enough. So check-ins are something I am really big on. Um, and it was really through a lot of career research and process of elimination. It was like, well, maybe I'm interested in this. Well, no, you know, I don't think I want to do that. Well, one piece of really good advice I got was start with the end and work your way back. Like, what do you want your life to look like? And then see what kind of things that you can get into or what kind of career path may lead you to that. And again, it was understanding that I was at my happiest when I was around the game of basketball and when I was serving women. And so that's where it kind of came together. You know, I was reading that early on in your career, you were attending a conference's media day and you didn't have enough money for a hotel. So you ended up sleeping in your car. What is it like for you now to look back on those moments and the sacrifices that you made to invest in yourself and your career? The funny thing is that you don't even realize when you're going through it how 
crazy some of the things you're doing really are. <laughs> like, I find myself now, like, you know, it's, it's crazy because I'm starting to figure out what work-life balance looks like and, you know, all these other things that are happening other than your career. Well, when I was in my <laughs> 20s, that, that wasn't the case. So I was literally willing to do whatever I needed to do because that's how passionate I was. And that's how um, strong my belief was that I was meant to be in this position. I mean, the number of places I walked into that were like, okay, so you're a sociology major with no TV experience. You've never been on television, no communications, no background in broadcasting, but you want to be an analyst. Yeah. You know, like what, what's the problem? Right. Yeah, exactly. Those <laughs> conversations, which were supposed to like crush me. I don't know if it was a grace from God, but literally I was like, all right, well, this isn't the way, but I'm going to find it. So I, I do reflect on those nights and, and sleeping in that car and having to make up a way to get credentials because I didn't work for anyone that was credible to, <laughs> you know, to get into anything. And so, um, you know, all of it was worth it first and foremost, but I just think in the moment you're doing whatever you feel like you can do or within your grasp to get to the places where you have to be and create that brand and um, to get your, get, get your foot in the door. As I was preparing for this podcast, I was on your website, looked through the whole thing, looks great. Girl, <laughs> but it, revamp, but <laughs> no, looks great. But it says you've been able to take, you know, lessons that you've learned on the court and apply them to your life. What are some of those moments that you can maybe share with us? Wow. I mean, the game of basketball, I was reflecting with a friend of mine the other day. Like, if it was not for learning how to lose, what effort looks like, <laughs> um, you know, all how to be your biggest cheerleader and sometimes your, your hardest moments, like, all of those things have translated so well into and taught me so many lessons that have helped me transition into broadcasting. Um, I'm trying to think of some in particular. I mean, I think that number one, first and foremost, like how to lose. And I definitely lost a lot in my college career. I was not, I did not go to UConn or Tennessee or any of those schools where they really don't lose very much. <laughs> and so, um, you know, in broadcasting, whether it's you fumble over a word or um, you didn't get a job that you wanted um, or, you know, you didn't identify a defense quickly enough when you're watching a game, like all those moments feel like losing moments. And I'm not going to lie. It, early on in my career, I was devastated if I would fumble over a word. And my dad would say, even the good ones fumble, like it's part of it. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to get to move on. You know, so, and still am a recovering perfectionist. But, you know, it, it's not about those moments happening. It's about how you bounce back from them. And bouncing back is something, you know, playing on the basketball team, you have to learn. I think also learned through basketball how to reach different types of people. You know, our team was very diverse. I had a teammate from Bassett, Virginia. I had one from Detroit, Michigan. I had one from Sweden. Um, you know, I had one from Alabama. So it was New York. It was a lesson of, okay, how do you connect with people who are diverse from different cities, different backgrounds? Like that's really what sport is, whether it's a head coach or a player or even, you know, my play-by-play -play I may be working with in that game. It, it, it teaches you um, how to get to know people, how to understand them. And, um, that people have strengths and weaknesses and roles just like you do too. You know, you're on a team and I was not the star player. Um, so I know how to play a role, but I also know 
uh, some of the pressures that come along with being a star player. And so just being able to identify, um, you know, how to connect with different types of people, because the networking that you have to do in this, in this the constant networking in this field uh, is about people. Um, and, and so those are a couple of things that just stand out to me, but I, I definitely credit basketball for giving me the foundation to be able to, to find my way in, in this field. We see you now covering women's basketball at both the collegiate and professional levels. And I was reading that you've had opportunities to work in the NBA and you've ultimately ended up turning them down. Why is that? That's a really good question. You know, I go back to those two things that are my purpose, right? Like waking up every day, growing the game of women's basketball um, is what I enjoy, it's what I love. And I, I have had a blast when I have had opportunities to work on the NBA side. I mean, I've interviewed Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, and I've sat next to Shaq in a break room and hung out with, you know, Steve Smith and Chris Webber, and NBA TV was an amazing experience for me. Um, and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't as fulfilling because it wasn't connected to my purpose. And I, I just think being intentional about that, and it may not be the position that's going to be the most glamorous or make the most money, but I wake up every day knowing that I'm putting women's sports on the map um, and that I'm walking into a gym with a, a, a court full of young women who may aspire to do what I'm doing one day or may not know what their options are past uh, basketball or may just be struggling with some avenue of life and can have someone to look up to or, or vision. And that's what makes me feel good, you know? Um, and yeah, you know, people may say you're crazy. You, you could be doing A, B, and C, but those things just have never been a driving force for me. Like I, my mother will tell you my, the way that I spend money, which is very frugal, drives her crazy. My mother's a clothes, <laughs> fashion design, you know, those kind of things. And I'm like, yeah, I just never been crazy about money. You know, it's just not my, and, and no offense to those people who do have different things that motivate them. But my purpose is why I can lay my pillow, my head on the pillow every night and wake up every day excited about what I do. And that's women and that's basketball. And I know I'm making a difference. You talk about investing in the careers of the young women that you're able to meet. You are the co-founder of Rising Media Stars. Yeah which provides opportunities for women of color to start a career in broadcasting. What was the motivation behind wanting to start this mentorship program? Uh, that's a good question, Amanda. And I appreciate how well-researched you are. Ooh. I told you I went to your <laughs> website. Okay. And then I dug like, I've read so much. We can go back to 2014 if you want. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, how she did that, you did that on the interview recently. Okay. Thanks. Uh, no, I appreciate that. So Rising Media Stars was something, you know, the moment I got my first like big opportunity, which was with the Atlanta Dream in 2008 covering the WNBA, I was color on the radio package there. I started getting emails right away from young women saying, hey, can I shadow you? And can you tell me about how you got into the field? And I barely knew what I was doing at that point. But it's something that um, has always stuck out to me because that was me. Like I was the one e emailing people and trying to have coffee and wanting to shadow and all of that. And so I realized how valuable that transitional education is. Like you may know what you want to do, 
but do you really know how to get there and the people you should be talking to and what your reel should be looking like and all of that. And so um, I've tried to mentor as many young women along the way as I can, but it's just, you know, impossible sometimes with the, with the numbers. And so um, I sat down with the co-founder, Kevin Nixon, and we had both be do been doing the same things, him more so on the production side, but he had young women that were getting reps at games. And, and we sat down like, what if we made something official of this? And um, instead of spreading our, ourselves thin and probably not adequately helping a ton of young women, what if we really focused in on five? Well, now it's 10 because we have two classes and, and try to give those young women of color um, the resources, tools, the reps that they need uh, to get comfortable in this field. Because you may get a broadcasting degree, you may get a communication degree, but until that light comes on, that's when you find out if you really have what it takes to be successful in this field. And if you don't get a chance to do that in, in a practice or a safe space, um, you know, you can lose your job if you're hired and unprepared. And so, um, yeah, we just, it's an, it's an incredible program that we're really excited about. We're actually hopefully a week or two away from becoming an official not 501c3. We are 100% volunteer-led in our organization, so 100% of the donations go towards travel expenses and things like that for our young women. But they actually get to cover games here in Atlanta. They United, Dream, Hawks, Falcons. Uh, and so they build a reel, and that's a reel that they can then take to try to get a job. And, um, you know, we try to help them network, and we work on questions and, you know, all of those things that um, are like an informal broadcasting education for those young women. So it's, we're excited. As you talk about the mentorship role you play for these young women, is there anyone that you look to for guidance while you were kind of navigating through this business? Got a ton of people. Um, you know, I, I've been first and foremost grateful for the help of Carolyn Peck, who um, was the OG in the game, you know, when I got <laughs> this. And Carolyn, uh, you know, won a national championship as a head coach and has worked with ESPN and she's been the GM and she's done so many things. But the first time I called her and said, hey, I think I want to do this. Can you talk to me? She met me at a coffee shop here in Atlanta and gave me all of her secrets and showed me how she built her boards and I could not have been more grateful for her time. And she's continued to be that person in my life over the years. But I mean, every, you know, I, the one thing I'll say, Amanda, is I, I have not really experienced that crabs in a bucket mentality on my end of things. I know it exists as far as women not helping women, but um, whether it's Rebecca Lobo and Holly Rowe or, you know, Debbie Antonelli, like there's been so many women who, Doris Burke have been willing to to speak into me and to breathe life and to give me confidence in myself and to also critique me and figure out my way and talk to me about contracts and things like that. Um, you know, but it's also been people behind the scenes, whether it's producers like my friend Beth Chappell or um, just so many women have poured into me. I used to joke that I have <laughs> more mentors than they know because they don't even know they're my mentors. I just... <laughs> <laughs> on my own. Um, but it can be an intimidating space for women. It could be an incredibly critical space in, in sports broadcasting. It can be so tough and challenging, especially as a woman of color. But I, I have, on top of my, my mentors, friends, colleagues, I couldn't even begin to name all the women that have been willing to lift me up and give me opportunities. Christy Winter Scott, I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on. 
Like I still feel that because every person that I've met is like, how can I help you? What do you need? And then you want to do the same thing for someone who asks to see you that. And then it's just like this snowball effect. Yeah, there's enough room for everyone. And, um, you know, I think that's one thing in Rising Media Stars that we're trying to uh, really reinforce with our young women is this is a sisterhood. And we don't want you guys to be jealous of each other. We want you to be excited for each other and to help each other and to learn and grow from one another. So I'm with you and I'm glad that you've had a positive experience um, in that as well. Y'all, don't go anywhere because coming up on the other side, I've got a fun game planned for LaChina and I. Stick around. Welcome back inside How She Did It. Amanda Smith still here with LaChina Robinson. And now we are playing one of my favorite games here on How She Did It, which I find to be one of the hardest. But I was like, we haven't played some awesome. We'll bring it back. It is a round of one word. So I will give you one word like a topic and then you can only respond with one word maybe the first word that comes to mind about said subject sounds fun so first one this is a good one because we've been talking a lot about it purpose women wnba inspiring analyst strategy mentor Robin Roberts in my brain. Let's find Interesting. I love it. That was fun. I feel like we could do like a game show together. I think <laughs> Yes. And some of the things you were asking, I was already thinking about. But then when you asked me, I was like, okay, am I going to say that? I kept changing my mind. Thanks for being a good sport. Of course. Anytime. We have some great fan questions for you, so I want to get to as many as we can before our time is over. So sad. Okay, so first is from former guest on How She Did It, Kelsey Wright Johnson. And she says, you have spent hours on the phone with her. We have talked a little bit about this throughout this episode, but she wants to know why is mentorship so important to you? Oh, hey, Kelsey. Mentorship is so important to me because I just never feel like I'm doing enough to help other people. Um, It's kind of like one of those things that follows me. Um, No matter how big of a game I may work or um, no matter what event I have tomorrow, I just kind of feel drawn to helping others. I don't know. It's kind of the way I think I've I've always been wired. And so... um, we talked about earlier, like what fills your cup and just knowing that I'm making a difference in the lives of other people has, has been something that's filled my cup for forever. Um, and so mentorship is important in that because whatever I have, you have, (laughs) you know, as a mentor, like I want to help and I want to, if I can make your journey a little bit easier than mine was or make you better than I am. I always say I don't mentor young women so that they can get to where I am. I mentor them so they can be better and go beyond where I am. And Kelsey is a young woman who I I just admire her determination. She just never gave up. And I'm so happy to see her with Memphis and in her role. And this is just the beginning for her. She's an amazing young woman. Word. Yay. Thanks, Kelsey, for the question. Kelsey. (laughs) Uh, next up, we have Megan Oswald. 
And she says, how have you seen the women's game grow throughout the years? All right. Thanks, Megan. Um, so I would probably say the biggest area of growth for women's basketball over the years has just been in the quality of play. Um, the game is much faster. It's, you know, more athletic. The speed, the skill of these women is incredible. Um, and I, I've also seen a growth in just its popularity over time. I mean, people, especially in social media space, uh, women's basketball often doesn't get the marquee spot, whether that's on the billboard or, you know, hearing the advertisements, but I'm a social media person. So I'm always on Twitter and I just love hearing from fans and people that um, are now tuning in and giving the WNBA a, a try. I think um, what you learn about the progression of sports for women over time in general is just that often people say, oh, it's women, turn it off. They don't even keep it on. But if you watch the game, you'll realize how good these women are. And um, I think the growth of the overall product itself on the court has probably been the most impressive part of that. And they're going to give you all buckets. That's right. <laughs> right. Okay. Like, you don't want to play the one-on-one. You think you do? No, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Not going to for you. Next up is from Solly Lowe, and he would like to know, who is someone you're inspired by? Who someone I'm inspired by? Um, definitely inspired by Michelle Obama. Um, I just think her level of self-awareness and transparency is something that I strive for. Um, I feel like I know myself pretty well. But you just don't know until you get into different situations. And I feel like from seeing her on the presidential campaign to watching her function as a mom, she's just very sure in who she is as a person. Um, And that puts her in a position to be her best authentic self when she's given a microphone to talk about life or its challenges. Like she hasn't been she hasn't shied away from sharing about, you know, what hasn't gone well in her life and what has and how people can learn from those things. And so I'm almost there with, you know, that willingness to be as open, but I just admire her and just her overall grace and um, brilliance and, and all that she is. So she would be someone that definitely I look up to. And I think like the best part about your story is it's yours and you can share as much or as little in your own time as you want, you know? And, and, and the layers have peeled back more and more as I'm getting older, but also it's, yeah. it takes the awareness of what you have learned to be able to communicate that. And so it's a, it's a process, but you're right, Amanda. I, I totally agree with that. Totally. I usually like to end my podcast with a question for my guest. So this week I would like to know what is something that you are proud of yourself for? Ooh. I would say I'm proud of myself for never letting other people define who I am or what I accomplish. You know, I mean, I often share as part of my story that, um, you know, when you see people in my position, they're usually NCAA champions or Olympic gold medalists or have even played the WNBA at some high level or been conference player of the year. I have none of those accolades. (laughs) So, you know, it was well it's going to be really hard for you to get to where you want to be without having become this level of expert but i'm proud of myself for finding another way 
you know, for studying that much harder or, um, you know, creating my own brand around the game that didn't require um, a medal or um, some of those awards that just weren't, weren't going to be a part of my narrative or my story. Um, and so finding other ways. And I think hopefully my story speaks to the young women who are part of that 99% that won't make it to the WNBA or won't win an NCAA championship, that I'm just a regular girl, you know? Um, and so I hope when they see me, I look like something and someone that's achievable, someone that you can reach out and touch, someone who um, just resonates as uh, just a, a girl, just like you, and that um, they would somewhere in there find some inspiration. I know that this is our first time talking to each other, but I literally just get like the warmest feeling from you. So thank you so much for being so kind. It's been such a treat to, to get to chat with you and hopefully we can do it again sometime. I would love that. And thank you and congratulations to what you're doing. I mean, I do a lot of interviews and you are locked in and well-researched. <laughs> and I appreciate that as a, as a fellow journalist um, and keep going. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. For Lil China Robinson, I'm Amanda Smith. We'll catch you next time on How She Did It. <laughs>